We're in the second week of our Summer Vibes sermon series, exploring the theology to be found in some of our favorite summer pastimes. Last week, we talked about summer reading through the lens of the classic children's book, Charlotte's Web. Today, uh, we're turning our attention to summer movies. It's always been a, a favorite summer pastime of mine, heading into an, an ice-cold theater in the heat of summer to catch the, the blockbuster for that particular year. Today, we're talking about a, a beloved classic whose tagline was, life's greatest adventure is finding your place in the circle of life. The Lion King became a, a pop culture juggernaut. The original 1994 animated version is the highest grossing G-rated movie of all time. Having made over a billion dollars worldwide at the box office, it won both a Golden Globe for Best Picture, as well as an Oscar for one of its songs, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, by Elton John and Tim Rice. Three years after the original movie came out, The Lion King became a hugely popular Broadway musical. It's still running, and it's the highest-grossing musical of all time, having made almost $1.7 billion since it opened in 1997. The musical version of the story, which closely follows the movie version, won six Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Not satisfied with all this success, Disney released a remake of the movie in 2019. That version is the highest grossing PG-rated movie of all time, earning over $1.6 billion at the box office. So if you're keeping track, that's over $4.3 billion just in ticket sales of various kinds and counting. As I said, The Lion King is a pop culture juggernaut. Now, in case you have somehow missed either version of the movie or the musical, or in case you've forgotten some of the details, here are the highlights that you need to know for our purposes today. The movie begins with what has become an iconic image. A new lion cub named Simba is presented to the inhabitants of the Pride Lands by a baboon named Rafiki. Simba is the heir to the kingdom of his father, Mufasa, but Mufasa's brother, a lion named Scar, has different ideas. While Simba just can't wait to be king, Scar plots his brother's death, hoping to kill his nephew Simba too, because with the two of them out of the way, Scar will ascend to the throne. And so Scar leads Simba into a narrow gorge, tricking him by telling him that he's got a surprise for him. And then Scar arranges for a stampede of wildebeests through the gorge. Scar alerts Mufasa to the danger, and of course Mufasa rushes to save his son. In a beautifully animated and incredibly tense scene, a scene that took Disney over three years to complete, Mufasa does indeed save his son, but he's killed in the process. Standing beside his dead father, Simba is convinced by his evil uncle Scar that he, Simba, is responsible for his father's death. He's an impressionable little cub, after all, who's just survived a very traumatic event. And so when Scar points out that Mufasa was, uh, would still be alive if Simba had not been in that gorge, Simba falls for it and he takes on this emotional baggage that will stay with him for a long time. Simba runs away from the Pride Lands, intending never to return. 
There's a time lapse in the film at this point as the cub Simba grows into a mature, full-grown lion. He has spent years in exile when an old friend finds him and tells him that, his, that he's needed back home. Scar has ruined the kingdom, and they need Simba to return from his self-imposed exile to overthrow his uncle and restore benevolent rule to his father's kingdom. His destiny, after all, is the throne and yet he's chosen exile for all these years. Now, this is an animated Disney movie, so along the way there's lots of singing, there's lots of adventure, there's lots of funny characters, but the core conflict is within Simba. It's about his, his uncertainty and his unwillingness to accept his identity because of the guilt that he has felt for all these years. He's afraid of what people will say if he goes home, of what they will think of him, and what they might do. And that brings us to our first text for today. This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Matthew. Jesus came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their own country and in their own house. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, We know absolutely nothing about Jesus' childhood. Uh, We have only one story from his early teenage years, but other than that, we have no details about what kind of kid he was, what kind of mischief he got into, what he liked to do for fun, that sort of thing. But we're talking about Jesus now, so uh, I imagine he was a pretty good kid. You know, I imagine he was not one to skip class or beat up on his brothers or backtalk his parents or other adults. I'm sure you're with me on this. And yet, even Jesus has the experience that's common to many of us. Sometimes it's hard to do serious things as a grown-up in your hometown, (laughs) because everyone still thinks of you as a little kid. And if you were a wild kid or a misbehaving kid or a kid who struggled in school, it's just hard to live that down among all the folks who knew you when you were growing up. Our family served First United Methodist Church of Henrietta, Texas for three years. Henrietta is a town of 3,000, about 20 miles this side of Wichita Falls. In the first year we were there, a congregation member recommended that we go see a play called Tuna Christmas at the theater in Wichita Falls. And so a group of us from the church got together and we went. This is a a comedy about the joys and perils of growing up and living in a small town. And as they told me, uh, it's pretty accurate. One of the storylines is about how in a small town like Tuna, Texas, No matter how old you are, there are some things about your past that people never, ever, ever forget about you. (laughs) Because part of the joy of living in a small town is that you have history with everybody else. You know, that counts for something, that that matters. 
But the challenge of having history with everybody else is that people tend to remember your childhood quirks and your shortcomings and your mistakes forever. And our text this morning tells us that even Jesus himself has to deal with this. He's teaching in the synagogue as a grown man, and people are really impressed with what he has to say, but then they realize, wait a minute, that's Mary's boy. We've known him since he was born. What could he possibly have to teach us? And the text tells us that they took offense at him. They were indignant that he would dare to try to teach them anything. The text tells us that he would not do many deeds of power in his hometown because of their reaction to him. This is Jesus we're talking about now. There's a famous book by the author Thomas Wolfe with a provocative title that that kind of captures this predicament, you can't go home again. I know that there are exceptions to this rule, thankfully. But unfortunately, sometimes Thomas Wolfe is right, and Simba in The Lion King certainly believes that he can't go home again. Now, like Jesus, uh, Simba has made a terrible mistake, or at least he's, he's let somebody convince him that he has, and he just can't let it go. Who among us does not have something from our past that makes us cringe when we remember it? Something that we failed to do or something that we, that we did that we wish we hadn't? You know, I'm talking about that, that thing that we, we hope others don't remember Uh, but that we just can't forget. That's where Simba is in our story, letting the the guilt of something in his past define him. He actually becomes his own worst enemy. His family wants him to come home. The movie's clear about that, but he doesn't realize that they do. He didn't realize that they want him to come back home because he's, he's spending his life running away. Well, like Simba, the Israelites, uh, were sometimes their own worst enemy over and over again in the Old Testament. We read they had turned away from God, and then this disaster occurred called, uh, called the exile. The Babylonian Empire conquered Israel. They carted most of them off to Babylon. Many of our faith ancestors came to see this as, as God's punishment for their past mistakes. It was 587 B.C. when the temple was destroyed and the Babylonians deported all of the elites of society. I'm talking about the royalty, the nobility, the religious leaders, the soldiers, the craftsmen. But the prophet Jeremiah chose to remain with the remnant in Jerusalem with the poor and the downtrodden, helping them to rebuild their lives in their destroyed home. Although he remained in Jerusalem, he was a prophet to the entire nation, both those in exile and those left behind. And in our second reading for today, he begins to offer hope for the restoration that God has in store for Israel. This is uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 to 14. Listen again, friends, for the word of God. For thus says the Lord... Only when Babylon 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. 
Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Amen. It's a good metaphor, I think. It's a, it's a helpful metaphor, I think. I believe that, that lots of us, maybe most of us, at some point or another, end up in some kind of exile of our own. We isolate ourselves from the people who love us, or we hide from them some secret that's eating us up inside. Like Simba, there are times when we feel shame or guilt from something in our past, and we run. Now, maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe you cannot relate to what I'm saying. Maybe there is no thing in your past that causes you to wince uh, and to hope that nobody remembers it but you. In fact, I hope that that's the case. (laughs) But my own experience and my experience as a pastor working with hurting people leads me to conclude that if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you are the blessed exception. If, on the other hand, you know exactly what I'm talking about, if you have been or are now in some sort of exile, then this this passage from Jeremiah is especially for you. Jeremiah is speaking to the prophet who is rejected in his own hometown and is disheartened by it. He's speaking to people like the residents of fictional Tuna, Texas, who are sure that everyone remembers the worst of their past. He's speaking to Thomas Wolfe, and he's saying, no, you're wrong. You can go home again. You can go home again. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. God knows that we cannot embrace the future if we are, if we are trapped by our past, if we're weighed down by emotional baggage that either slows us down or keeps us stuck. God says, call upon me, pray to me, seek me, and I will find you. I will let you find me. I'm not hiding from you, so stop running from me. I will bring you back home because I know the plans I have for you, and those plans do not include you staying in exile. In Simba's case, he's scared of his calling. He's scared of his destiny because he believes that he's not worthy of it. It's true that his uncle Scar had a lot to do with Simba's self-doubt, but at some point, each of us has to shake off the negative influences in our lives and stop letting them define us. For Simba, it takes an old friend to help him break free of his past, the baboon, Rafiki, the one who had lifted Simba up as a little cub for all to see in that iconic opening scene, finally tracks him down. Simba doesn't recognize him at first, so he asks, who are you? The wise old baboon answers, the question is, who are you? (laughs) It's a heavy question. (laughs) Who are you? you. 
And then Rafiki helps Simba connect with the spirit of his father. He conjures up the spirit of Mufasa, who tells his son exactly what he needs to hear. He says to Simba, you have forgotten who you are. You are more than what you've become. Remember who you are. You are my son. Seems to me that's pretty much Jeremiah's sentiment in our passage for today. I wonder if anybody watching this is in exile right now, if anybody watching this is more than what they've become, if anybody watching this has forgotten who they are. I wonder if there's anyone watching this who needs to hear these words, remember who you are. You are a beloved child of God. The God whose grace sets us free from the guilt of our mistakes and then empowers us to live our lives for God. Anybody in exile right now should hear again God's words through Jeremiah. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me and I will bring you home. Now, The Lion King is a Disney movie, which means, of course, spoiler alert, Simba does go back to the Pride Lands and restores both his father's kingdom and his rightful place in it. But right before he decides to return home, the old baboon Rafiki hits him on the head with his stick. And Simba says, ow, what was that for? What does it matter? Rafiki says, it's in the past. And then he tries to hit him again. And Simba ducks. See, Rafiki says, you either run from your past or you learn from it. Friends, if something in your past is keeping you from being the person God wants you to be, God calls you to be, then this is my prayer for you. May this be the day that you start to leave all that behind. May this be the day that you stop running and remember who you are. Because when we are convinced that we are beloved children of God and committed followers of God's Son, then is when we can joyfully pursue life's greatest adventure, finding our place in the circle of life. Amen.